Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you were not welcome? Maybe there are divisions or conflicts in your family or your group of friends. And if one person invites you to something, you know somebody else is going to be upset that you're there. Right, so there are branches in my family like that. There's a certain cousin who has ideas of parenting and really disagrees with her mother and father-in-law and doesn't want them around the kids. And that meant, that meant there's been like an estrangement in this part of the family for a while. There were a pair of brothers with an ongoing dispute about who gets the inheritance of the property from their mother who died. I can't explain all these fights. I just know that my little branch of the family, my particular part, always plans the family reunions, and we invite everyone. And that means that some other branches of the family, some cousins, some aunts and uncles, take turns showing up year to year. Some just sit on the side and don't talk to anyone when they're there. Like, the tension is kind of felt. It's really palpable. And as sad as it is, like, I can't imagine what what it must feel like for either of them, like any of those cousins or brothers or sisters, to show up and know that they're kind of welcome, but that somebody doesn't want them there. So have you ever been in a situation like that? Are you ready for a seasonally appropriate sports story? Because I went to a university, it's part of the Big Ten Conference, it's called Northwestern University, and we are historically terrible at football. Like, if there, are, if there are negative records for NCAA football, we probably hold them. My brother and six or seven of my cousins went to the Ohio State University, which is historically great, I guess. But one time when my brother and I were both living in L.A., he was watching the Northwestern Ohio State game at a bar with a lot of Ohio State fans, and I ignored it completely. I was at some church event. I was like, no bother, like, don't bother showing up because we're going to lose. But he called me at halftime. He said, Patrick, Northwestern's ahead. You better come watch this. So I got another friend who went to Northwestern. We show up at the Ohio State bar. We're, like, coming in all energetic, and it was like we were at a funeral. Like, Ohio State fans take it way too seriously. And I could tell by the looks on the faces there, we were not really welcome. And maybe we were jerks by singing the fight song when we won at the end of the game. It was only, it was one of two times in like the last 50 years that we beat Ohio State, but we were going to enjoy it, even if it made the rest of the people around us a little miserable. So that's, that's a silly story, but the thing is, if you've ever felt unwelcome, you're in good company. This was the experience that Jesus had for most of his life. We know that from the stories of his life in the Gospels, in the Bible. At his birth, there was no room at the inn for Mary and Joseph, so they had to kind of give birth to him around some animals in a barn. He was born and laid in a manger. Due to political persecution, he and his parents became refugees in Egypt for a while. One of his disciples, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, said this in John 1.11, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was the long-promised Jewish Messiah, but his own people didn't welcome him. So if you've gone anywhere and gotten suspicious looks or been turned away or felt uncomfortable, Jesus knows perfectly well what you've experienced. He did this throughout his life. Now let's flip it around. Can you think of a time when you thought you wouldn't be welcome, but you received a really warm reception? Several years ago, my parents and I had the opportunity to visit our ancestral homeland, which was kind of the former Yugoslavia. We went to Croatia and Serbia. Now, we're Croatian-American as a family, and the thing about Croatia and Serbia is that they're really the same people group, but they've been trampled over by all these empires over the years that divided them, and they hate each other for lots of reasons that are 
pointless and it would take me forever to explain, but there's a lot of enmity between the two groups. And we went to this music festival in Serbia. And as Croatian Americans, we were like, uh, do we pretend to be Canadian while we're here just in case? Well, it turns out that they welcomed us with open arms. Like our hosts made these incredible meals for us. People love to teach us about their traditions, about the dances that they have to go along with all this music. We were so loved. And it was one of these weird times in my life when I felt really alien, but also completely made to feel at home. And I think that's a picture of what people ought to experience when they interact with the church, with Christians who are gathered on Sundays or Christians who are gathered in their homes or in their neighborhoods. It's part of how we can represent the extravagant welcome of God to everyone, this kind of undeserved and unexpected hospitality. And that's what we're talking about today, hospitality. And this is part of our series we call Be Rich. It's really about our perspective on the resources we have in life. Money is a big one, but it includes other things too. And how we view and relate to our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure is really important to God. And we can see that throughout the Bible. So the, do these things, our wants and our needs, do they control us? Or do we see what we have as gifts from God that we control and put to use, put to good stewardship? Be Rich, this series is about, not about just like having and accumulating wealth, but it's about what we do with what we have. Extravagant hospitality may bring things to mind like Daddy Warbucks and Little Orphan Annie, if I can reference a very old play and movie, um, or maybe it was originally a cartoon like 100 years ago, I don't know. But the point is, biblical hospitality is about the kind of riches that doesn't depend on money. The resource is you. It's your presence, it's your time, it's your welcome. And that can play a part in others getting to know the abundant love of God. All right, so before we go ahead, let's pray real quickly. Lord, help us to know more deeply today the welcome you offer to us and how we can be a part of sharing that with others. Bless us with your presence, your words, and change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Before I continue, I keep hearing little bumps. Is it the microphone on my fabulous beard? <laughs> I don't know how to fix it. So, um, Sorry. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Oh, pull it out. Yes, away. Okay, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yay, all right. Okay, so our key verse, Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews is one of the many books in the New Testament which are written by church leaders and apostles to new believers, this young and growing community of people called the first Christians. And in this couple of verses, he says, the writer of this book says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So let's start by talking about the importance of hospitality. Uh, I want to say that much of this talk was inspired by Rich Nathan. He's a vineyard pastor from Columbus, Ohio. And he says that in a fractured, individualistic, lonely society, hospitality is key to building the kind of church community that God wants. So think about the relationships that fill the world or the lives around you. Chances are, maybe not everyone, but there are some broken families, broken homes, people living lives out of mistrust, defensiveness, hurt, alienation, and anger. 
Now think about LA specifically, right? How many people came here to escape something somewhere else or to prove themselves worthy of love by succeeding somehow? Guilty. Honestly, I did that 18 years ago. Oh, November 10th is my anniversary of arriving in LA. Yay. Um, is that today? Oh, how hilarious. 18 years. <laughs> um, but how can people find emotional healing and stability when they come from places of such instability? Now, there's a catchphrase I've learned over the years in church, which is that we're broken in relationship and healed in relationship. Hospitality opens the doors for that to happen. So for people to see healthy relationships, to find hope in others who are trying and by God's grace to relate well, like they can, they can see that as they join us in living life. Like none of us have figured it out perfectly, but by sharing a bit of our lives and our journey with others, we can be a part of God's work of healing. Now, I don't need to convince any of you that there are great divisions in our society that are maybe felt more than ever. Racial divisions, economic divisions, and there's nothing new about those. But I just think the way our media has taken things, everything has become more politicized. It's become monetized. It's become, like, weaponized. Groups pitting each other against each other. And the tension is high, of course, if you pay attention to all that. But what have you... When has tension been lowered in your life? When have fears been put, put away because you got to know somebody? Right? Like maybe we all grew up in certain situations, certain communities where there was prejudice just inherently part of the community because you weren't exposed to a lot around you. But then you moved away, you went somewhere different, you went to a different school, you were in class with somebody different than you, you played on a team with somebody different than you, and suddenly you, suddenly you realize that this person that was different than you wasn't the way they were portrayed on television or on Twitter. And it made you comfortable, like, okay, difference is good. Diversity is great. Opportunities for interaction and learning from one another bridge the divides among us. And that starts with hospitality. It starts with opening up our homes for conversation and sharing life. That's why we value community groups so highly at Pacific City. Like, we want opportunities for people to just sit around and get to know each other. I love my community group. Kate and I co-lead. We were the ones serving communion. But we meet at Michael and Christina Bear's place. And they are awesome hosts. They have, like, the most abundant source of seltzer water you can imagine. And we've, you know, sitting around and talking about scripture or whatever is fun and we get to know each other. But we've also been setting aside time to have a getting to know you portion where each week somebody shares a story from their life. And we really get to know somebody more deeply, something about how they became who they are. How can we help people grow and become real disciples of Christ? To live richly and not for themselves, to bear the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. I think there's no better context for that than simple hospitality. Now, who are the recipients of hospitality? Let's look again at that verse from Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So the Greek word for hospitality is, and I don't know how to pronounce this, philozenia. You know, philo, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So philo is love. Xenia is like xenophobia, which is fear of strangers, fear of foreigners. But philozenia is love for strangers. The biblical understanding of the word stranger has a profound meaning. And it's not just, oh, there's a new person I don't know. Like, stranger danger, don't talk to them. No, strangers in the Bible are people who are disconnected. 
They're detached from supporting relationships and families from the larger community. In the biblical times, community meant the difference between life and death. They're people without a place. Scripture is full of instructions to help widows and widowers, immigrants, refugees, orphans. These are strangers. And biblical hospitality is about welcoming them into our homes, into our groups, and into our churches. I've experienced that several times. I left the church I grew up in as a teenager and went to a different church. I was really nervous. I had felt disconnected from my family through my decision to do that. But the first Sunday there, all the people gathered around me and got to know my name and said, hey, hang out for choir practice afterward. I was like, "Mm, okay. And an hour later, I was a member of the choir. And suddenly that feeling of disconnect became a feeling of like, oh, I belong here. Like, I have a place. I experienced similar things when I went away to college. And a friend from my dorm invited me to her church. That was another vineyard church in Evanston. I've been a part of vineyard churches ever since. I came to L.A., felt very disconnected. Somebody invited me to church. And I went. And afterward, people were like, hey, we're going to grab lunch. You want to come? Ten new friends an hour later. Maybe not deep friends, but it was the beginning. It was the open door to new relationship. I was new and alone, and they didn't let me fall through the cracks. That was on my mind a lot when we launched Pack City last year. I helped to plan our guest services systems, which are everything you experience in the courtyard, all those friendly faces, all the treats and everything like that. And with all the details and all the people that were a part, it was all about one thing, truly. It was about the simple idea that everyone would feel welcome, that nobody would fall through the cracks, that people would have a place to belong if they choose to stick around. Another ministry that is all about hospitality here is Pack City Impact. I love what Pack City Impact does, and we mentioned it. Next Saturday, we're going to be serving people experiencing homelessness at the People's Concern, formerly OPCC. And this is a great way to provide love and welcome to strangers. I mean, the homeless population in Los Angeles is talked about so, so much, but in such an impersonal way if you only experience it through the media or passing people by in the street. But because we've regularly committed to show up to the people's concern, we get to know them. The faces become more and more familiar each time. And it's maybe a modest way to serve people, but people become less and less strangers as we do it. Now let's talk about the model of hospitality. Man, I'm failing with the the tech up here on my ear today. I apologize. Um, There's a story in the book of Genesis about Abraham. In Genesis 18, 1 through 8, let's read along. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah. Quick, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, a little bit about this situation. This is in the Middle East a few thousand years ago. It's hot. It's in the middle of the day. Abraham is tired and he's resting. And three people show up that he doesn't know. 
What do you do when that happens? Like, Shh, oh my gosh, don't answer the door. They won't think we're here. Do you like look at the, the camera function on your ring device? But Abraham ran to greet his guests. He bowed in reverence. He and Sarah and the servant got to work to make them feel at home. Now, for that culture, and for actually a lot of cultures around the world today, hosting people is a huge honor. The strangers brought honor to Abraham simply by showing up. He had the opportunity to show hospitality, and it cost him. It took a lot of effort. He had to sacrifice his own property, his own time, his own rest. It was really selfless, but he was able to make them feel at home. I've had the opportunity over the years to visit a lot of vineyard churches in India, which is where the vineyard movement is growing really rapidly. And on these trips, you know, traveling internationally, you're flying for like 24 hours, then you get on a train to go from the major airport to the city and blah, blah, blah. And we arrive in Dehradun, way in the north of India, like past midnight. And India is a place where like after 9 or 10 p.m., it's quiet. Like things really shut down. So we thought, okay, we'll have to kind of find a cab or something to get us from the train station to where we're staying. But the entire leadership team of the church had showed up at the train station to help us carry our bags, to give us transportation to where we were going. And before they let us get to sleep, they stayed up even later and shared a simple round of tea with us. They just wanted to hear about our journey, hear how we were doing, and make us know that we were so welcome. And they were honored that we were there. One time they even installed like a Western-style toilet just for us, so we'd feel a little more comfortable that way. But my favorite memory was the time I was sitting in the yard behind the pastor's house and I noticed that one of the chickens was missing from the coop. And sure enough, it was our last day there and they saved the best meal for last. And they cooked a wonderful chicken and a lot of other good stuff. And I was sad that the chicken was gone, but it meant so much to them to sacrifice that for us because hosting us meant so much. That experience points to the fact that meals are really central to hospitality. You know, I mentioned our family trip to Serbia. The people that hosted us cooked these incredible breakfasts that could probably feed like 25 people, like platters overflowing with food I could not name. There were five of us. Like, we just felt guilty because we couldn't even make a dent in the amount of food that they had put out for us. What special memories and connections do you associate with meals? Have you, like, how have relationships become more significant in your life because of meals planned or shared or reminisced about? There are meals like I've had like 20 and 30 years ago that I reminisce about with people. Meals are literally about taking in what keeps us alive, but they can become so much more than that. They're about sharing life. There's a reason almost every religion has some kind of food central to their practices. You know, there are tea ceremonies in Buddhism. There are meals to break fasts in Islam and Judaism. Of course, there's the Passover Seder in the Jewish practice. And in Christianity, food abounds. Like, Rich Nathan half jokes when he says the Gospels are basically stories of Jesus going from one dinner party to another. The tax collector's house, at Mary and Martha's house, etc., etc. And of course, we've celebrated the Lord's Supper today. This is central in remembering who Jesus was and what he did to offer us eternal abundant life, free from the sin and brokenness of the world and death. And I would challenge you to think about how you can be hospitable with a meal. Tis the season. Do you have a Friendsgiving planned? I don't know how Friendsgiving became a thing, but I freaking love it. And it's perfect for LA because so many of us are from somewhere else and it's too expensive to fly home just for a dinner. I mean, we value that and family's important, but sometimes you just got to stay in LA. Thank goodness for Friendsgiving. What stranger could you invite? 
who's a little less connected than you are that might appreciate a place to share the meal, to have the sweet potato casserole. That's my specialty, FYI. Um, who could you grab a cheap bite with after church some week? And believe it or not, there are actually cheap-ish places to eat in Santa Monica. They can be hard to find, but they're out there. Now, my challenge to you to think about how you can do that really leads to the next point, which is that hospitality actually is a requirement. The scripture, scriptures are full of the demand of hospitality. Let's just look quickly at a few more phrases, a few more verses from the New Testament. Again, these are books written by church leaders to new believers, to younger leaders, to the growing church. 1 Timothy 3.2. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Titus 1.8. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, the requirement is not just for leaders, but for all believers. Romans 12.13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, a meal is one thing. Opening up your home to others, that can be huge. But hospitality, as God calls us to, that includes inviting people to meet him. To meet him in our community groups, to meet him at church, Maybe to meet him at events like our listening prayer workshop, which is happening right after today's service across the courtyard in the cafeteria. If hospitality is sharing what you have and making people feel like they belong, what better to offer than the chance to meet the giver of life? Now, that suddenly sounds very serious, but if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how did that start for you? How has God met you or spoken to a need in your life? Chances are some or many of the times you've experienced God interacting with you directly happened when you were gathered with other believers seeking God in prayer. What I love about Pax City and churches like ours is that we don't make this weird. It's not a ritual. It's not bizarre. There's no prayer voice. We simply believe that God cares about the details of our lives and he speaks to people. The Bible says so. And many of us have experienced that many, many times. As you think about the practice of hospitality and thinking about inviting people to church or to a community group, it can seem intimidating. Like the idea of church is a pretty loaded one in our culture. But what you're inviting to is a place where you've hopefully experienced hospitality too, from people and from God. Was that experience good enough for you to share with others? There's a pastor, a really famous guy, actually Andy Stanley, who leads a church um, who simplifies this, this idea of inviting people to church, who simplifies the idea of inviting people to churchy things. There are a lot of ins in conversation that can make that easier. And he calls these the three knots. One, when somebody says something like, I'm not attending church. If somebody says something like that, that means they're at least open to the idea of attending church. Great. There's a signal. Take it. Like respond and say, hey, I go to this place called Pack City. It's really awesome. Want to join me there some, some week? Another knot is, I'm not doing well. Now, whatever that is, it's a different, you know, difficult relationship problem. Maybe marriage is hard. You're fighting with a sibling. Maybe there's stress at work or some other concern. That's an opportunity to invite somebody to church. Or, I'm not ready for this life change. That's another big knot. 
life transitions are huge for people. They weigh on people in ways that maybe people don't even realize until they're halfway through it. People nervous about getting married or people nervous about, you know, a new job. Here's one we can probably a lot of us relate to. I just moved to LA and this is a big, scary city. That's a transition. And it's a time when it might be good to invite somebody to church. Now, clearly a bunch of people standing around an auditorium on a Sunday morning singing songs is not going to change somebody's lives necessarily. That's not why we invite them. We invite them because it's why we're here that is worth sharing. As I said a minute ago, we believe that God cares about us, about the details of our lives. And through the Bible and the Holy Spirit, he has a lot to say about our every concern. If you've experienced that at all, consider how a stranger you know might experience the same thing or more if they join you one Sunday or join you one Thursday night or Wednesday night at community group. Maybe they simply never knew there was an opportunity to relate to God that way. Your hospitality could offer them the chance. And yes, it is kind of intimidating to invite people. There are a lot of objections to hospitality like that. So let's talk about that. What are the objections to hospitality in our lives? Some objections come from others. Now, it's easy to imagine people criticizing you or the church over the centuries for not being welcoming enough. We've heard it all. But have you ever been criticized for being too welcoming, too inclusive? I started referencing earlier today just divides in my extended family. How did each of those cousins or people on the different sides of the family fights think when they were all invited to the family reunion? Like, you invited them? As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be different from other people by being the ones with the biggest hearts, the most inviting. Our doors are open to all. And that's hard for some people. You know, people prize in our culture open-mindedness. But you know what that means a lot of people hate? It's closed-mindedness. You know who Jesus loves? The open-minded people and the closed-minded people. However you define those things, God sent his son to die for us all. Not just one side of whatever debate. You know, it's easy to hate the haters, but guess what? God loves the haters. Whoever the haters are, in your opinion. And that's the radical, hard-to-grasp nature of God's grace. He offers welcome to everyone. And he wants us, his followers, to do the same. Now, you don't have to approve of everything in someone's life to invest in a relationship with them, to offer them hospitality. Someone's morals or religious views or politics should not stop us from welcoming them. But perhaps the biggest objections we have to hospitality come from ourselves, from us. Why do we object to hospitality? It's a scary thing. You know, maybe we don't have enough to give, we feel like. Maybe we don't have enough time, enough money, enough space in our homes. Now, it's okay to admit that you have limits. You can't do everything. But the amount or the quality of the food you serve, of the seating, or of how deep the conversation is, they don't take away from the very holy offering that is just connecting with somebody on a personal level, especially somebody who maybe had no connection before. What you have you have to share. In fact, and this is a mystery, God promises to multiply it. Look at these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 8 and 10. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then verse 10, now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's behind you in this. He's going to back you up. 
if you're generous with others. Okay, but still, we can imagine ourselves saying, my house isn't that fixed up, my apartment's too small, my furniture isn't great, I'm just a student and I don't have a lot of money. What's beneath all of that? Probably some mixture of pride and shame. And the thing about hospitality, about taking the opportunity to get to know somebody else, it means they're also going to get to know you, warts and all. To pretend everything is perfect in your life is really to not relate honestly. Okay, maybe you didn't have time to put on makeup before they showed up. Maybe that pile of unwashed clothes is sitting very visible when they arrive. Who cares? What you're offering people is relationship and connection. And maybe, I don't suspect this of many of you, but maybe you love your house and all your really nice things so much, you don't want people to mess them up. Like you don't want a coffee stain in your really fancy coffee table. You don't want to drive across town to visit somebody because that parking garage near them is, the spaces are too small and I'm going to get a dent on a really nice car. I've heard those things before, but the thing is, Christ didn't die for your coffee table and your car. It's, like, we just need to be honest that we're called to value people above things, above our own comfort. The default setting of the broken world is just to not deal with strangers at all if it makes us uncomfortable or if it's an inconvenience. And that only separates us more and more. Now, true, we have limits. None of us can do all the hospitality. But what we can do, we should. And in fact, Jesus calls us to that. So as we think about being rich through the rest of this series, consider what riches you already have to share. What extravagant hospitality might make a difference in some stranger's life? What cultural divide can you reach across with a simple invitation? Maybe it's just to Froyo. Let's get tacos. Maybe we'll just play a board game together, drink some very unfancy tea. Maybe we'll go on a hike. There are a lot of things you can do that just don't cost anything. How might Pack City become a community that continues to surprise our neighbors with hospitality? Are we up to the call that we see in scripture? I need to challenge myself about this so much. And I hope you'll challenge yourselves as well. And I want to challenge you to pray, to really listen to God about where you can be hospitable in life. How do you want to grow? Do you want your bank account to grow? Or do you want to grow your heart? And maybe think about how your bank account and all the other resources you have can be shared, can be a part of your generosity. How big do you want your heart to be? Do you want to be rich by growing in generosity, gratefulness, by being more embracing and welcoming? These are hard things. They sound nice and they sound, of course, of course, all of that. But when it comes to making the daily choices to be hospitable, it is a challenge. But it's one that God calls us to again and again in scripture. And it's the one maybe simple choice and a collection of simple little choices throughout our lives, which may build his kingdom the most the biggest way we can partner with him. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to have a time of ministry as we go into our last little bit of singing together.